Hello, Oba, and Konnichiwa. I am your host, Daniel Gumby Freeland, and this is the Prelim Primer, the one and only podcast fully dedicated to the curtain jerkers. I, of course, am talking about those fighting on the prelims of upcoming UFC fight cards. UFC Frankie Edgar versus Pedro Munoz is this weekend coming up in the Apex. Of course, the, the main card's a little bit weaker than it was last week, but still very exciting. Nevertheless, as you guys know who frequent the show, no, we will only be breaking down the prelim portion of that card. That's right, just the prelims. For those of you who are new to the show and might be wondering, why just the prelims? This this card could really use a breakdown. There's a lot of unknown names even on the main card. Well, well that's the thing. We, we know you probably have somewhere to go for all of that main card action. You probably have a podcast or two that you listen to, but you probably don't have a podcast where breaks down all of these debutantes here. There's a whole bunch of brand new guys to the roster right here on the prelims that you might not know about. We're here to break that down, give you the knowledge you need, whether it's for gambling, daily fantasy sports, or just your own personal enjoyment. But before we get to any of that content, I got to let you know that this episode is brought to you by AJ's ActionPackSportsBets.com. Unlike all the other companies who offer gambling advice, AJ is not just a list of fighters or teams that you can put money down on each week. He does so much more than that. He provides his customers with his picks, but also with the education that you can use for years to come. He gives you in-depth breakdowns, whether gambling or DraftKings, and all of the tips and know-how so that you can make informed decisions and maximize your profit. You don't just have to take my word for it. Check out his extensive record, his past breakdowns, and all of the customers' success at AJ'sActionPackSportsBets.com. You can find that link in the show notes or follow him on Twitter at AJMMABetting. You will not be sorry that you did. Of course, now we're going to get to the breakdown. I have to be joined by a co-host joining me today from Fansided MMA, a friend of the show frequently, Benjamin Abrigo. Benjamin, thanks so much for joining me. Always a pleasure being here, man. Absolutely. And as you guys know, we start each and every one of the prelim primer rounds by putting five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about Amanda Lemos versus uh, Mizuki Inoue. So Lemos had a two-year USADA layoff. Kind of unfortunate for her. She returned and submitted Miranda Granger in her re-debut. Inoue, meanwhile, long-awaited UFC debut back in August of last year. Beat Yanin Wu by split decision. So here's my question for you stylistically. The comparison I'm really interested in is the fact that Inoue's bout with Virna Jandiroba back in Invicta mostly saw her get beat in the grappling department. And obviously Jandiroba is an absolute killer on the map, but I'm wondering, can Lemos at least use that game plan? Is she close enough to Jandiroba that that's a possibility? I think she might be able to to try that game plan for the first round. Um, she hasn't really shown us anything or shown me anything to believe she can do that consistently. Um, and I think you were kind of hinting at it that skill-wise and, and just experience-wise, she's nowhere close to Virna Jandiroba in terms of that, that style of fight. So, you know, I, I do think Lemos might have some physical advantages over Mizuki here, especially early on. Um, but... You, you you look down Mizuki Inoue's record, you look how long she's been in the sport, even though she's only 25 years old. Um, she has all this experience, and she's super, super well-rounded. It's hard for me to see Lemos kind of imitating Virna Janjaroba here. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with you on that one. I think the physical gifts are obviously there, but but like putting it together skill-wise, making sure she doesn't get swept, because, you know, Inoue did have some bright spots in that fight with Janjaroba, too, so... I guess then the question is, is that if Inoue is going to cut a clear path to a victory here, 
what does she have to do against Lemos to make sure that she neutralizes those physical gifts? I think she needs to, first of all, shut down the takedown if if Lemos wants to do that. Um, and I think drag the fight into the second and the third round where Inoue's skill and, and particularly her boxing is going to take over. I see Inoue kind of piecing Lemos up uh, the longer the fight goes on. Interesting. So, uh, obviously, we've gotten just about to the end of discussing this fight. It seems like you're leaning uh, Inoue. How you got her win in this one? I got Inoue by pretty dominant decision. I actually think the odds are a little too close. I think she should be a, a pretty big favorite here, but I'm pretty confident in Inoue by decision. Yeah, and I, I started, I, I'm going to be honest, I started when I was looking at this fight picking Lemos right out of the gate because I was really impressed with her fight with Granger. But then you just go back in Inoue's record, and I know you already mentioned it, the list of names she's fought, like even if she looked unimpressive in some of those fights, like the couple of bright spots are almost more impressive than the fact that Lemos, you know, beat Granger dominantly. So, yeah, I think I'm going to take Inoue by decision. I am going to say it might be a little bit closer than you're hinting, but I'll take Inoue as well. And that brings us to our second fight, which is another super close one, and that's Austin Hubbard versus Joe Selecki. Hubbard, 2-2 two two in the UFC. He's alternated wins and losses his whole career. Of course, you remember him most from last beating Max <laughs> Roshkoff by TKO due to retirement, I guess if you want to call it that. Uh, Selecki, meanwhile, debuted in December. He absolutely manhandled Matt Wyman coming off of you know a ridiculous layoff. So I guess the question here for Hubbard is, again, he, he's had ups and downs against grapplers. The people who beat him... Davi Ramos, uh, a really good jiu-jitsu specialist, and Mark Madsen, an Olympic-level grappler, you know, an Olympic-level wrestler. He, he stopped Roshkoff, but but where is Selecki following that? Is Selecki going to be the guy who uses the dominant grappling, or, or does he stay away from it? That's a good question, and it's, it's kind of hard to... S- hard to break down this fight given both of these guys' last opponents were kind of weird circumstances with Wyman and Roshkoff. Um, I do think uh, Austin Hubbard is a better fighter than a 2-2 two and two UFC record. Um, you mentioned Davi Hamos is an ADCC champion, and then Marco Madsen is a Olympic uh, Greco-Roman medalist. So is a path for victory there for, for Joe Selecki, but I don't think he's he's on par with Davi Hamos. I don't think he's on par with Marco Madsen. And I know Max Roshkoff had some success in the early going on the ground against um, Austin Hubbard. Uh, but, you know, Hubbard acquitted himself well against a very serious uh, submission threat there. And I know Selecki is a bit more of a ground-and-pound artist, but I don't think he's going to be able to consistently hold Hubbard down. And, you know, on the feet, I, I greatly favor Hubbard. And cardio-wise and experience-wise, I favor Hubbard. Yeah, I favor Hubbard in those those regards, too, and, and you're 100% right about him defending the, the takedowns and defending the grappling of Roshkoff, but I think the difference here for me is that Selecki blends the striking and the grappling much differently than Roshkoff does, right? You know, like, I think that's what gave him trouble with Madsen and what gave him trouble with Hamosh. He got hit in the face a couple of times and then taken down. He got put up against the cage and then taken down. With Roshkoff, it was like he knew he wasn't going to get punched in the face. He knew he just had to stuff the takedown because Roshkoff wasn't interested in striking in that fight, especially after his gas tank started to evade him. So I'm interested to see whether or not Selecki's hands allow him to grapple more because you're right, Hubbard has an advantage there, but I'm wondering if he can touch him up enough just to get him you know, thinking twice. So I guess that's the question for me, and the question for you is who you got in this fight and how you got him. Man, you kind of changed my mind a little bit, but not quite all the way. I like Hubbard here. I've been really high on him since he's been in the UFC, despite kind of uneven uh, results. I like Hubbard in a really fun decision win here. 
Yeah, I think no matter what, this is definitely going to decision. And, and I'm going to take Selecki here, but just barely, because I do think, you know, the, the difference in the grappling is probably going to be enough to steal rounds in this this situation. And, and it's unfortunate that Hubbard keeps getting these killers because, you know, like you, like you said, two and two does not do justice to where this guy fits in the UFC. Uh, but that's unfortunately going to do it for the end of our very first round. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with round number two. All right, guys, one quick reminder here that this show is brought to you by AJ's Action Pack SportsBets.com. That link is in the show notes. One of the awesome things that AJ does for you each and every week is he sends you not just his picks, but also pros and cons for every single matchup and some of the insider information you need to know about DraftKings matchups, which includes things like who might be owned more often, who's not frequently owned, and, and that can really make a huge difference when you're setting that lineup and going for the big jackpot. You know, he sends that content right to your inbox. Sometimes it's audio, sometimes it's visual, sometimes it's written. He gives you all kinds of different ways to get your know-how. So head on over to AJ'sActionPackSportsBets.com and get on top today. And we are back with round number two. I'm going to put another five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about Ike Villanueva versus Jorge Gonzalez. Villanueva, 0-1 in the UFC. He got a TKO loss to Shea Sherman in his debut. Of course, that was up at heavyweight. Gonzalez, meanwhile, 16-4, making his UFC debut. He was actually supposed to debut last month, but his opponent missed weight very badly, Kenneth Berg, and it wound up canceling the fight. So... Here we go. We got two sort of plodding light heavyweights who just want to throw hands. It is our favorite part of the prelim <laughs> primer. How, how do you break this one down? How do you separate these two big hand throwers? I mean, flip a coin maybe? I, no. <laughs> I mean, uh, honestly, so I was actually lucky enough. I saw Ike Villanueva training at Extreme Couture a bit the past couple of weeks. Um, he is still not even a big light heavyweight. I know his first fight in the UFC was at heavyweight. Um, but he's not even a big 205-er for that matter. He will have a hand speed advantage over Jorge Gonzalez for sure. Uh, that said, though, I think this is just going to be guys trading punches. Um, and Jorge Gonzalez is not super technically clean, but he is really good at brawling. Um, I don't know about really good, but I would say he is, he is a dangerous brawler. Uh, he throws wild and he throws heavy. Um, and I actually think he's going to have a little bit of size on Villanueva here, even though, you know, Villanueva we know as a, as a heavyweight. And, and I think you're so right on this one too, talking about how Gonzalez throws big. It's not technical, but also Villanueva has been sucked into those non-technical fights in his past. Like if you look back at some of his fights at legacy and stuff like that, like he, he isn't afraid to throw big himself. So as a result, you know, I kind of see him getting sucked into that fight with Gonzalez, throwing the big hands and getting into trouble with it. So, yeah, that's the way I'm leaning too, especially now that you mentioned the size advantage too. You know, like I'm definitely leaning Gonzalez. How about you? Who you got and how you got him? I'm going Gonzalez. I think second round knockout, but, you know, while it lasts, this should be a slobber knocker. Yeah, let's let's hope it's a slobber knocker. I'm going to go Gonzalez first round knockout. If it's not a slobber knocker, we are in for 15 of the worst minutes we've seen in a while. <laughs> um, and that brings us to our next fight, which is Timur Valiev versus Mark Steigl. So Valiev, 16 and two, making his debut. He was supposed to fight Jamal Emmers earlier this month. He of course last fought for a company called GFC back in December. Steigl, meanwhile, is 18 and two. He's making his debut from the Philippines. He's fought a bunch in One FC and a bunch of other various Asian organizations. Organizations. Now, I guess my question is going to center here around Steigl a little bit because we've seen a little bit of Valiev. 
he, he's got really crazy forward pressure. He swarms really fast. What does Steigl have to do to overcome that, and can he overcome that? I mean, he's got he's to hit takedowns. That's plain and simple. That guy is a humongous uh, bantamweight. He is super muscular and a, a pretty good takedown artist, a very good top control artist. Um, he's got to catch Timur Valiev lunging forward with those big strikes that you talked about. Um, so there is a, a, a clear path to victory here for Mark Striegel, but um, man, there's a reason that we've been talking about, or I think the MMA world in general has been talking about Timur Valiev for, for quite some time. Obviously he has tons of high level experience, um, a bit of that like Dagestani army. And I know he's been training at um, Jackson Wink for quite some time. So I am super, super high on Timur Valiev. Uh, he's got a game opponent here, but man, his striking, his power, uh, he has very good takedown defense himself. So uh, while he might be uh, susceptible to a takedown here, I don't think he's going to uh, suffer that that fate for an entire 15 minutes. And I'm glad you mentioned the sheer size of Straggle too, because like, I, I think the fact that he is so big plays well into his hands against like regional level opponents, especially fighting in places like one FC in the Philippines where you're fighting a lot of Muay Thai guys, right? Like he can wrestle them up really easily. He's fighting a guy who's used to defending takedowns, right? Like has fought a bunch of takedown artists. And in addition to that, I have to imagine those big muscles that you've talked about are not one for the cardio world, right? Like Valiev is a guy who, who fights at an incredible pace and to keep that pace with him no matter what is hard. So to keep that pace and have these like big hulking muscles for a Bantamweight, I got to imagine the gas tank's going to do him some harm in the later rounds. So yeah, I'm leaning Valiev too. Uh, how you got Valiev winning this one? I like Valiev by uh, late stoppage, late TKO, just bringing up exactly what you were talking about with the cardio. But this is a great addition to the UFC. Yeah, and, and not just him, too. I, I do want to highlight that Strigel is, is also an interesting addition to the UFC as well. Because like you said, he's got great wrestling. And in that division, we've seen guys like Marab Devalishvili show that like really good wrestling can do a lot of damage in that division. So I, I'm excited for both of them. But yeah, I'm going to take Valiev by late stoppage as well for the, the cardio reasons. And that's going to do it for the end of our second round. We got one more fight plus a little extra bonus for you guys in round number three. So hang on just one moment. Hey guys, you know that I'm a big fan of AJ's ActionPackSportsBets.com. By the way, you can find that link in the show notes. But I'm not the only one. If you head on over to that webpage, you can check out all of the subscribers' success and testimonials from people who actually know about MMA telling you that AJ knows his stuff. Take Marcel Dorf, for instance. Big Marcel 24 on Twitter. He's a guy who knows when fights are broken. He knows every single fighter on the small-ass regional circuit. This guy knows everything, and he is saying he would like to give a huge shout-out to one of the best handicappers out there, AJ MMA Betting. His knowledge about the sports is crazy, and his fight breakdowns are very extensive and on point. And he suggests that you follow him. I suggest that as well. But don't just follow him on Twitter. Also, check out AJ's Action Pack Sports Bets.com. And we are back with round number three. I'm going to put another five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about Matthew Samelisberger versus Carlton Minus. So, Samelisberger, 6 and 2, making his debut. He's on a three fight win streak. Two of those fights in a row are by KO, including a February win over. PFL veteran Richard Patishnock. 
Minus, meanwhile, is 10-1, making his debut. He's mostly fought in Alaska FC. His only career loss is also a PFL loss to Rick Story. So, you know, a, a really high-level loss there. Now, now, the interesting dynamic in this one to me is that Minus fights a little bit more like a distance striker. Samela's burger is a big grinder. He loves the fight up against the cage. He loves the clinch work. He loves the wrestling. Do you automatically go with the grinder in a small cage? Because <laughs> we've seen it happen so many times. You know, that's a great point. Um, here, though, I don't I don't think Samela's burger is going to be able to consistently do that for the full 15 minutes. Uh, that with, that's with the caveat that this guy has some great finishing power, some great clinch work. So, you know, if, 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 um, minus spends a little bit too much time in the clinch, look out for those elbows. I'm sure you saw that, that beautiful, like clinch finish that Samelsberger has on his record. Uh, so he is a super, super dangerous guy, but I just like Carlton minus's, uh, movement here. He knows that he doesn't want to be in the clinch. He knows he doesn't want to have his back on the cage. So he's going to do everything in his power, um, to keep the fight at range. And he's shown throughout his relatively brief career that that's exactly what he can do. Um, and if he has space to work, man, that guy puts together beautiful punch kick combinations. Um, I think this is maybe not the highest level fight on the card, but I think we might see Carlton minus do some really cool stuff. Assuming like you said, he can stay out of the clinch. Yeah. And I think if you're looking to go back and watch fights too, watch some Ellisberger's fight against Patishnok, which is a, a really fun uh, fight to watch him in the clinch, but also go back and watch Carlton Minus fight Justin Buckholtz in Alaska mm -hmm. FC because that is a really fun, interesting technical matchup. So uh, I think it, you're right. It comes down to whether or not Minus can keep his back off the cage for long enough. And, you know, like I haven't seen a lot of Samelis Berger, you know, at distance. Like, I, I don't know what it looks like with only eight pro fights. You know, I, I'm, you know, lean on thinking it's probably not that good if all of his fights look the same or at least all the ones <laughs> I've seen. So, um, yeah, it's an interesting question, but uh, a more interesting question is who you got in this one and how do you got him? I like minus by decision, but uh, considering that, that Semmelsberger has so few fights, I also wouldn't be surprised if minus kind of shocks him and, and gets him out of there quickly. But I, I'm pretty big on Carlton minus. I hope we see a little bit more power that, you know, isn't always there in, in all of his fights, but I like minus by decision. All right, and I'm actually going to differ with you on this one. I like Samelis Berger's grinding mentality. I, I think in this situation, you know, like especially taking the fight on fairly short notice for Minus, there's a good chance he could get pushed up against the cage here. And I'm not saying he gets finished, but I know that on the judges' scorecards, you know, that grinding style sort of looks better and it wins stupid rounds. So I'm going to take Samelis Berger, and I'm going to take him here by decision. Now, we did have a six fight to talk about. We did have Dwight Grant versus Jared Gooden, but as of about an hour and a half before we started taping, Jared Gooden has injured himself and is now out of the fight, leaving Dwight Grant without an opponent. So before we move on and, and sort of end the show, I did want to ask, while I've got my co-host here, Ben, Ben, I was wondering if you have in specific a uh, an idea for who could fill that spot with, with Dwight Grant and who you think would be a good pick. I certainly do. Uh, and shameless plug for my podcast, the Fix Fights podcast. We uh, just last week interviewed my good friend, training partner, and jujitsu coach, Kalen Bourne, uh, who is a seven and one pro, six six first round finishes, I believe, uh, fighting out of Kansas City. But he is currently in Las Vegas specifically for this type of situation to make himself available to the UFC. Uh, so hopefully, you know, he got he got the news before the news broke. To the public, he got the news this morning that um, 
you know, Gooden had fall, had fallen through. His manager notified him. The UFC has not offered him a fight, obviously, yet. Um, but this is exactly the type of scenario that he's out in Vegas for. Um, and like I said, seven and one with six finishes. Uh, what's not to like there? Yeah, and, it, and also, too, him being a, a jujitsu-leaning guy here, too. How do you think that plays against somebody like Grant? Uh, well, I mean, watching Dwight Grant's fights, like, I mean, I, I think Kalen could, could certainly school him on the ground. Obviously I'm biased. Uh, but that said, I mean, if you really watch Kalen's fights, most of his fights happen on the feet. Uh, even though he has a lot of submission finishes, uh, it's usually because he's dropped the guy first. So, um, you know, I personally think Kalen can win that fight anywhere. Um, and you know, if he can get it to the mat, then it's, it's game over. Kalen is a judo black belt, a jujitsu black belt. And I believe in high school, he was a national team wrestler. So skills everywhere. I'm pulling for Kalen to get this opportunity. Well, I certainly wouldn't say no to that one as well. But while I'm here, I'm also going to plug a fighter who I'd like to see in this fight. I'd like to see Connor Barry out of Massachusetts get this fight. Um, I've seen him a bunch on the regional circuit. He would be on a four-fight winning streak. He absolutely manhandled Joe Gianetti for almost three complete rounds, was about to win a clear-cut decision. When the ref stopped the fight in what I can only consider... I would say he was having his head played like a bongo drum, like playfully, uh, and the ref stopped it. It was one of the wildest things I've ever seen. Um, so he's, you know, effectively on a three-fight winning streak, including fighting a, an Ultimate Fighter finale uh, fighter. So, you know, like I like him in this fight for the same reason sort of you mentioned. He's really good at jiu-jitsu, maybe not as high level. You know, he's not a, a big, tough black belt like uh, Callan, but he is a guy who is manhandled some jujitsu black belts and i think that that plays well against somebody like dwight grant so i'll put my shameless plug there but i also <laughs> want to ask you one more question about possibly filling this fight in so if you're hearing this as soon as it comes out it is before the contender series on tuesday i want to get this on record here there are two welterweight fights happening on tuesday what level probability do you give it that dana white sees a welterweight on tuesday win and then tries to offer him this fight on Saturday oh man it depends on how they win you know if you get a Sean O'Malley type knockout why not why not keep keep that momentum going and say do you want to fight on Saturday so if some that's a great idea that honestly had not even crossed my mind you know if one of those welterweights picks up a spectacular knockout who wouldn't want to see them again in in a few days yeah, I mean, like, I, I, I err on the side of caution on that. Like, I, I didn't even really love that he was trying to wheel Impa Kasangane out, you know, like a week later or a week and a half later. You know, I'd much rather see these guys with full training camps. But, you know, like, you can't fault the guy if he makes 5-5 five and five on a fight, you know, on a Tuesday. You know, it, it's a lot better to get another 12 on the weekend even <laughs> if you lose, right? Or another 15 on the weekend even if you lose. So, uh, I, I just thought of that, you know, and I was like, I wonder how many welterweights are fighting and sure enough, two welterweight matches. So, um, there's certainly possibilities there and all of them are good ones, but this is the end of the prelim primer. So I want to thank my co-host Benjamin Abrigo. Of course, you can catch him on his po podcast, the fix fight podcast with Kurt and Ben, and you can catch him on fan side at MMA or the body lock as well. So, uh, you can catch him in all those places. Benjamin, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you, man.